Hello, podcast listeners. Hope everything's going well for you today. I have to say, yesterday was somewhat of a slow news day when looking up articles to be able to talk about in today's podcast, but we were able to find some things to be able to talk about. A lot of things that were being talked about mostly on Wall Street were the Federal Reserve and Jay Powell and what was going to happen. And as much as I would like to cover that again, maybe save that for a future podcast because there's some other stuff that we should be talking about today. So stuff that we will talk about is U.S. core capital goods orders growth slows in April, shipments increase. We're going to be talking about SpaceX Starlink satellite internet service as well and how that's a good thing for both Tesla in a way or Starlink, I guess. And what's happening and what China's thinking about doing with Starlink. Okay, We're then going to be talking about how hedge funds like Elliott has are chasing oil and gas currently, which is bucking Wall Street, and how that ties in with how natural gas just recently, I believe, passed nine dollars to the highest since 2008. And then finally, we got to talk about more food issues that could be happening because after reporting about India yesterday, there's was more news that was reported, and I think we need to be able to talk about that today. Well, with that being said, guys, as I always say. I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Please speak to your financial advisor before making any financial decisions. The whole purpose of this podcast is to be able to talk about articles that Wall Street won't be talking about in more details, and here we'll be able to talk about it. This podcast here is also to be able to give information to people who wish to seek it and to provide entertainment for those who wish to get the entertainment. With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. First off, U.S. core capital goods orders growth slows in April. Shipments increase from Washington Reuters. New orders for U.S.-made capital goods increased less than expected in April, suggesting businesses could be slowing their pace of spending on equipment as they confront growing headwinds from rising interest rates and tightening financial conditions. The mixed report from the Commerce Department on Wednesday followed on the heels of May regional factory surveys, last week showing manufacturers expecting moderate growth in capital spending over the next six months. The Federal Reserve has adopted an aggressive monetary policy stance to cool demand and timed inflation, sparking a stock market sell-off and boosting U.S. Treasury yields and the dollar. Quote, rate-sensitive business equipment investment growth is beginning to slow, said Michael Pierce, a senior U.S. economicist at Capital Economics in New York. That is the consistent with our view that economic activity is bending rather than breaking under the impact of higher rates. Orders for non-defense capital goods, including aircraft, a closely watched proxy for business spending plans, rose 0.3% last month. These so-called core capital goods orders advanced 1.1% in March. They were up 10% on the year-on-year basis. Economicists polled by Rudders had forecast core capital goods orders gaining 0.5%. The data are not adjusted for inflation, which also contributed to the gains in orders last month. Quote, when production inputs are more expensive, maintaining existing investment levels and replacing depreciating capital makes a business spend more dollars, even if the investment does not really expand capacity, said Will Compernol, a senior economicist at FHN Financial in New York. Core capital goods orders were held back by modest decrease in bookings for fabricated metal products, as well as electronic equipment, appliances and components. There were solid increases in orders for machinery and primary metals, but orders for computers and electronics produced barely rose. And then finally, it says shipments of core capital goods increased 0.8% last month after climbing 0.2% in March. 
Core capital goods shipments are used to calculate equipment spending and gross domestic product measurements. I often wonder what's going to end up happening. I mean, we already have shortages as we've spoken about in the past. Is this going to cause more shortages in certain areas of the economy? Don't really know. I mean, they they are saying that clouds are looming in this article because they say robust business investments in equipment helped keep domestic demand strong in the first quarter. Even as the economy contracted at a 1.4% annualized rate, burdened by a record trade deficit, April's increase in core capital goods shipments suggests business spending would keep growing, uh, though probably not at the 15.3% pace logged last quarter. Despite the strong growth in shipments, clouds are looming over business spending and manufacturing. The Fed has raised its policy interest rates by 75 basis points since March. The U.S. Central Bank is expected to hike the overnight rate by half a percentage point at each of its next meetings in June and July. Minutes of the Fed's May 3rd through 4th meeting published on Wednesday showed a few participants indicated that some of their business contacts were reportedly hesitant to expand capacity or had postponed construction projects. Although overall business investments remain underpinned by strong consumer demand, healthy household balance sheets, and inventory re- rebuilding. I I just don't know what to think about this at the end. I mean, businesses are going to have to do what they have to do. And if they're not getting, I mean, if the capital goods area is slowing, I mean, I just have a hard time believing that. I think a business is going to be able to do what it needs to do. I mean, I am expecting more robots potentially because if if wages keep going up because of inflation, I do expect businesses to be like, we're going to spend money on machines that can do these parts for the manual labor that we used to have in the past. There's just no way that this can continue. But I mean, we just have to report this technically in our podcasts because there's a, the, other, the last thing we'll talk about is like obviously with China, China's zero COVID-19 policy, which led to the shutdown of the commerce hub of Shanghai is likely to further entangle supply chains, hampering capital spending. Goldman Sachs trimmed its second quarter GDP growth estimates by one tenth of percentage points to a 2.4% rate on Wednesday data. So, and last quote we'll read, not only do manufacturers have plenty of unfilled orders to keep factories running at full tilt, even in the event of a slowdown in demand, we also expect sky-high labor costs and the limited availability of workers to motivate businesses to seek labor-saving technologies and support demand for equipment. I don't believe that one bit. I think businesses are going to end up getting machines more often if it becomes too expensive to hire people. So we need to keep an eye out for that. Next article, SpaceX Starlink satellite internet surpasses 400,000 subscribers globally. Now, this is pretty exciting news because if you are a Tesla investor, that means Elon is still doing his thing. Elon Musk SpaceX told federal regulators in a presentation last week that its satellites, that Starlink satellite internet service now has over 400,000 subscribers around the world. The disclosure indicates the company is steadily growing subscribers for the service, which began in October of 2020, two months ago. Starlink said it had about 250,000 subscribers at the start of this year. And it said that it had about 145,000 subscribers. Uh, Correction, at the start of this year, it said about 145,000 subscribers. The figures included both individual consumers and businesses. Starlink is SpaceX network of satellites in low Earth orbit designed to deliver high-speed internet anywhere on the globe. Through thousands of satellites, SpaceX is building a system to deliver faster connectivity across a wider coverage area than traditional broadband satellites. 
SpaceX presentation made during a call with the Federal Communications Commission on May 19th noted that Starlink services is active in 48 U.S. states. The satellite network is available in 36 countries so far, and the company is aiming to expand its services to most of Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. An availability map of SpaceX Starlink's website now shows only a handful of countries where services is not listed as coming soon, and these countries are Afghanistan, Belarus, Cuba, China, Iran, North Korea, Russia, Syria, and Venezuela. SpaceX has launched about 2,500 Starlink satellites to support its global network. The company expanded its Starlink services options this year. Starlink's base service is 110 a month, excluding a $599 setup upfront cost for hardware. A premium options cost 500 per month, plus a 2,500 for hardware. The company also recently added a profitability fee of $25 per month for users who relocate. Their satellite antenna, as well as a Starlink for RVs, options that lead that lets customers pause services on a month-to-month basis. The company is also expanding into the in-flight Wi-Fi market and signed deals with air, air carriers Hawaiian Airlines and JSX to add Starlink's antennas on aircraft. Pending regulator, regulatory approval, SpaceX expects to begin delivering services to the commercial aircraft in about a year. So this is really interesting to see how Starlink is technically growing. Okay. But what also becomes interesting when doing some a little bit more research, because I was curious to know if the U.S. government was using them, which they are in some part of their agencies. It made me find this article about China. And China released this article in their newspaper, I believe in the South China, and it's also in Business Today In. And they're saying this, China moles destroying Elon Musk's Starlink if seen as a security threat. Now remember, we just named China as one of the nine countries that Starlink will not be touching. And a lot of those countries are, I guess, technically enemies of the United States. But what's, I mean... And this this is almost declaring, I guess, that if China makes this move, it's going to cause some chaos in the markets. It says here, Chinese military researchers are already thinking of ways to destroy Elon Musk back Starlink, Starlink satellite system in case Beijing perceives it as a threat to China's national security. Ren, a researcher with Beijing Institute of Tracking and Telecommunication, led a study regarding the same along the several senior scientists belonging to the Chinese defense industry. The study was published in the journal Modern Defense Technology. Quote, a combination of soft and hard kill methods should be adopted to make some Starlink satellites lose their functions and destroy the Constellation operating system. The research paper accessed by the Daily Mail read. Why does Beijing look at Starlink satellite system as a threat to its national security? Ren believes that the U.S. military drones and stealth fighter jets can strengthen their data by 100 times, thus leading Beijing to conclude that the system is a potential national security threat. As per analysis, Starlink, uh, Starlink consultation has a decentralized system, and any confrontation will not only be about a single satellite, but the whole system, the Chinese security um, apparatus, We'll have to employ low-cost, high-efficiency measures for the same. What can China do to counter the satellite threat? As per Ren, the need to develop super-sharp space surveillance satellites to spy on Starlink system is self-evident. He also believes that China should develop capabilities to intercept and analyze the data being transmitted to preempt threats. 
He furthermore notes that China needs to expand satellite killing abilities to destroy multiple targets like Starlink in a more cost-effective manner despite risk of space debris impacting other space operations. Okay, China. If you do this and you literally shoot down a Starlink satellite, I believe that's almost going to be a cause for war. I could be wrong. But if I'm not mistaken, I believe part of the U.S. government does use it for its military. But that should be concerning across the board. And the fact that Wall Street's not even talking about this or news agencies are talk are talking about this is also very concerning. I mean, come on. Can we really trust China technically in a way? I don't know. China tends to do things, I guess, not correctly sometimes. But... It's I, I just, like I said, I find it concerning that I'm not seeing news networks talk about it. And we obviously would talk about it on this podcast because if we find anything that has to do with companies, we're going to talk about it. And if it has to do anything with the stock market too, that's another thing we'll be, like I said, just talk about. I'm curious to know though, like let's say China does make this attempt to shoot down a Starlink, a Starlink satellite, what it will cause Tesla stock to do. But then again, also, I believe Starlink is part of SpaceX, and I think SpaceX is its own separate company. I can't remember. It's, it's hard to keep track of everything that Elon's doing sometimes. But I'm just curious to know what it would cause the stock market to do if China were to do that. Maybe they're going to also do cyber attacks a little bit more on Starlink as well. That's something we'll have to keep an eye on in the future with Starlink to see if these attacks actually do happen. Next article, hedge fund Elliott chases oil and gas deals bucking Wall Street. Energy bankers who lost one client after another when poor returns published many investment firms out of the U.S. oil patch got a welcome email earlier this year. Elliott Management, a hedge fund founded and co-led by billionaire Paul Singer and best known for his activist investment, wrote to the bankers in January inviting them to pitch opportunities to acquire U.S. oil and gas acreage according to people familiar with the matter. Quote, they want to hear about everything. One banker who attended a meeting with Elliot said, referring to opportunities in U.S. shale basins. It is a constrained strategy. Many investment firms have ex exited the sector, burned by big losses uh, from when energy prices collapse. Most recently in the 2020, when concerns over COVID-19 pandemic briefly turned U.S. crude prices negative. I remember that happening live, and that was just mind-boggling to think about during the time. I mean negative that was just insane. like even the people on cnbc didn't even know how to react during that time a few remaining are capitalizing on the current energy price rally to cash out on assets rather than buy new ones in considering these deals elliot is showing an appetite for risk that is rarer among its wall street peers the source said each shale basin has different economics but we're were oil prices to remain above $100 a barrel investment bankers estimate that elliot could score investment gains of more than 80% or showed U.S. crude, which briefly topped 130 in March following the Russian invasion of Ukraine, dropped back below $65, Elliott could start losing money, according to bankers. Oil is currently trading at $110. Now, I mean, that's the risk they're willing to take, but something that we need to also talk about a little bit more. Natural gas surges above $9, hits the highest since 2008 as inventories stay low. Natural gas surge above 9 per, per million British thermal units, or MMBTU, on Wednesday, hitting the highest level in more than a decade as dwindling in 
inventories pushed prices higher. U.S. prices surged more than 6% at one point to the hit a high of $9.39 per MMBTU, the highest since August of 2008. The contract later gave back the bulk of those gains, ending the day at 1.99% higher at $8.97 per MMBTU. Still, prices remain elevated in what has been a blistering rally for natural gas as the Russian war on Ukraine sends energy markets reeling. David Givens, head of natural gas and power services for North America uh, at Argus Media, pointed to three king catalysts fueling the rally, little production growth, high liquided natural gas exports, and storage levels that are roughly 17% below the five-year average. average. Rapidly increasing prices are adding to inflammatory pressures across the economy. Drivers are already grappling with record high prices at gas pumps, and now utility bills are set to increase too. While utility companies might have once switched to coal as a cheaper alternative, coal-fueled power is now in short supply with a number of plants going offline due to part of the ESG, Environmental and Social Government's, concerns. I read in California recently that they're supposed to be rolling blackouts potentially this summer because there's not enough energy. I keep saying this on this podcast. We're going to be facing an energy crisis, and I don't believe it's just going to be in the United States. I think it's going to be in the world if we can't figure this out. I mean, it's like everything we've done is just causing just all these ripple effects to finally just kick in. I mean... It's just insane what's going on. Quote, gas is being forced to fulfill significantly greater portion of power burn during a summer that looks to top records for electricity load, he said. Gas for many years has been a waste byproduct of continued shale drilling across production basins in the U.S., which kept prices usually low. Since the 2020 low in drilling, oh, there it is. They're admitting low in drilling in 2020. The market has been pushed into the tight supply demand situation which will not be remedied quickly, he added. Natural gas is now nearly 30% in May, the third straight month when gains have topped 20% and prices are now up 150% for 2022. This is insane. We're going to have a huge energy crisis in the making. I mean, I just don't even know what to say anymore at this point. I keep saying it and it it just seems like it's going to happen. I mean... Even recently, just filling up gas tanks is just getting insane right now. So, I mean, it's finally going to kick in for gas gas energy at home. So, get ready, people. It's coming. If it does come, it's going to get ugly still. And the last thing we need to talk about, because this is going to affect potentially the Middle East and Africa, I believe. Because we like we talked about in the past with the food shortages in Ukraine with the corn and wheat. Most of their supply goes to North, the North Africa area and the Middle East. But it says here from CNBC, multi-year food crisis, a big threat, Ukraine foreign minister warns. Global food prices are already soaring because of the war in Ukraine, with ships blocked from exporting the country's stable, staple product like wheat. Uh, Ukraine's foreign minister has now warned that the blockade could lead to multi-year food crisis. Quote, this is only the beginning, and if we allow Putin to continue his military madness, the crisis will go deeper and deeper, he told CNBC Hadley Gambley at the World Economic Forum. Quote, if Russia does not lift its blockade, Ukraine grain will get will get rotten. If this problem is not resolved, Ukraine farmers will not plant another crop, and the whole agriculture, agricultural cycle in Ukraine will be interrupted, and that will mean a multi-year food crisis. 
Kulab said countries were already feeling the pressures of rising food prices. The European Commission and U.S. have accused Russia of weaponizing food supplies in the war, but Russia denies that, instead blaming Western sanctions. At first, I wasn't going to cover this about the food crisis that might potentially happen. But it wasn't until when doing research that when I found this article, because like I said, we had talked about this yesterday about India hoarding food or at least sugar a little bit within their country. And I had mentioned, I was like, there's going to be a potential food crisis. But then this came out too from CNBC. Saudia finance minister warns of growing global food crisis caused by Ukraine war. Several countries are raising the alarm over the growing crisis in global food supplies triggered by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. The wearing states are among the world's top agriculture exports that feed much of the developing world in particular. Saudi Finance Minister Mohammed Al-Jadalin, I believe that's how you say it, believes the world is not taking it seriously, seriously enough. Quote, I think it's a very serious issue. The food crisis is real. I think it is still underestimated by the world community. Continuing his quote, it's not going to cause a lot of issues. It is it is going to cause a lot of issues, not only the MENA, the Middle East and North Africa region, but even the wider world. The MENA region is very, very, very vulnerable. The finance chief added, it imports a lot of food. It represents 6% of the population in the world. Russia's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine now threatens a huge proportion of wheat and grain that countries in the Middle East and Africa rely on. Together, Russia and Ukraine account for roughly one-third of the world's global wheat exports, nearly 20% of corn, and 80% of its sunflower oil. And they provide the majority of the MENA regional supply. Wheat features are up more than 30% since the invasion began in late, in late February. Before the war, more than 90, 95% of Ukraine's total grain, wheat, and corn exports were shipped out of the Via Black Sea, and half of those exports went to MENA countries. The vital con- con- conduit is now shut, choking the Ukraine's maritime trade after its ports came under attack from Russia military. Later on, the article says Saudi Arabia in late March pledged $15 billion in economic assistance for Egypt, the Middle East most populous country, as its economy was hit hard by record high grain prices as a result of the war. Egypt is seeking help from International Monetary Fund to support its ailing economy. Egypt alone is... Egypt alone, with its population of some 100 million people, imports 80% of the wheat from Ukraine and Russia. Lebanon, already years into crippling debt and inflation crisis, imports 60% of its wheat from two warring countries, which provides 80% of Tunisia's grain. Food in, food's insecurity in the MENA region has often been associated with political instability, riots, and violence. It's going to get insane out there with food. Okay, Some countries right now are currently already hoarding grain. Okay, into storage. We also talked about yesterday, Sudan is already spending about 40% of their earnings on food. 40%, okay? Now you're going to have more of a crisis across pretty much Africa, parts of Africa in the Middle East, okay? This is going to happen potentially because this war in Russia and Ukraine is not ending anytime soon, it looks like. And... I have a feeling, too, that they're going to pass a bill soon in Washington, probably, to supply food to these countries should things continue to get worse, okay? And if that happens, you can almost expect food prices to rise within the United States as well. 
it's going to get extremely ugly soon. I mean, if history's indie indicator, I think it was I had heard recently that if corn ever hit above 40%, that's when revolutions happened. I mean, right now in Sudan, you're already spending 40% of your earnings on food. Get ready for some protests to happen across Sudan and potentially parts of the Middle East and North Africa if this keeps happening. And then expect a bill to be passed in the United States that's going to allow us to send money and food over to these countries. Which means our food prices are going to go up as well. Potentially. I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I will admit I'm wrong. But just connecting the dots right now, I mean, we have to save everyone in the world. And I'm still going to say this too. Any third world country is going to get hit hard. And I mean extremely hard. It's just insane. These policies they keep in they keep doing in government is gonna affect the market like crazy when the time comes. Last thing we'll read about the Saudi before we end today's podcast. Quote, so we need to be very careful on what is happening in the region. We will provide the support needed as much as we can, but it's not only us. This is a global problem that we need to work collaboratively with the world to bring about solutions. I get ready, people, potentially. I would. Food crisis is just, it's not ending. It's not going to end anytime soon. It isn't. And I expect the United States to potentially have to, they're going to try to send this food over to these countries. And they're going to tell the American people like, hey, we need to help support these people because of what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. Helping a lot of countries, fine. I can understand that. But it's going to get really ugly, potentially, just due to the fact that Policies in the past are now a ripple effect of what's happening today. And the food crisis is going to probably continue. I don't think we've seen anything just yet. I potentially can see things continuing to, I want to say get worse. But I mean, we'll be able to keep reporting about these things. But there's, this isn't over. Just wait. So, yeah, that's all I got to say about that for today, guys. So, Thank you for listening to today's podcast, guys. I, thank you for listening to today's podcast, guys. I really hope you enjoyed listening to what we talked about. I know sometimes it can be a little doom and gloom, but sometimes we try to make things more positive and outlook. It just depends on what we can find and talk about. With that being said, guys, I ask that you, if you do like these podcasts, that you please like and share and follow so that we can be able to help continue to grow this podcast, especially share it with friends and family. Because if you can share this with friends or family and they enjoy it as well, the podcast will actually grow faster too. I'd like to thank my current subscribers and listeners. You're helping me be able to get the motivation every day to to report as much as I can. With that being said too, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Thank you and goodbye.